Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Okay, it is 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and uh, this is the, I don't know, third quarters is the third or fourth maybe it's the fourth maybe it's the final of the year of our um, quarterly world services town hall q a gathering where we have an hour or so to have some discussion about anything refuge recovery related Um, welcome thanks for joining us This is not a refuge recovery meeting. This is not a teaching. This is a business sort of centered meeting. So uh, I'm uh, Noah, I'm on the board, president of the board. Vanessa is also a board member who's co-host of the meeting. Um, Welcome and the floor is open for any topics of discussion. Hey, I got a quick one. Uh, first, the the attendance here sucks. It's People been, aren't showing up to this. No. Yeah. Be great to to at least you know really encourage all the reps from all meetings to even be, be a requirement of being a rep to attend this meeting. It's you know quarterly, which brings me to the other thing on their on your uh, schedule. It looks like next year it's marked as monthly. So I don't know if that was intentional or accidental. Okay. Um, I hear you. I think we sent something out not that long ago, encouraging group reps to attend. And I know we keep encouraging group reps to attend, but it doesn't seem to be translating, not happening. And I think that uh, we can switch that. I think that Last year we did monthly, this year quarterly, or has it been two years of quarterly now? We were doing it every month for the first year or so, couple, you know, a couple years ago. So we just needed to change it back on the schedule to to quarterly. And I'll get Sebastian to do that. Michelle, go ahead. Yeah, this came up in a meeting that I was in. Uh, this person was quite vociferous about why did the meditations need to be 20 minutes? And I just wanted to hear your logic on that. So I had. Like they were too short and they should be. Uh, no, not long. And they were nobody, too long. Nobody can get enlightened in 20 minutes. It's no, not, they were too long. It's not I good know. for beginners and all the things. I know. Um, there's no real rhyme or reason i guess it's just my own experience and opinion um i i think that 20 minutes is kind of the minimum to get much benefit out of meditation i mean any meditation is better than no meditation and of course you know i i do believe in sort of like five minutes is better than nothing 10 minutes is better than nothing but to to truly be able to benefit from the training um, it takes repetition and it takes, and I would put um, 20 minutes at the kind of lowest, you know, lower level of really uh, gaining the benefits from meditation and the long-term training and not just the few minutes of relaxation, but really training your mind to be mindful or compassionate or forgiving or that uh, my own view is that it's about 20 minute minimum. And that really, as the book says, you know, we encourage people to up their meditation to 30 minutes or 45 minutes within the first year of recovery. Thanks. Yep. And I don't know what what the, you know, the person that you encountered um, experience has been um, or, you know, other people maybe in this, but my, I have a sense that there's a self-limiting view that a lot of us put on ourselves of like, oh, I can't meditate for 20 minutes. That's too hard until you start coming and you're doing the 20 minute meditations and you see, I absolutely can do it. 
um you know like we just got back from the refuge recovery east coast retreat and uh two you know uh one five day and one seven day refuge recovery retreats in the last month and we start every morning with a 45 minute silent sitting and uh, so many people report like i didn't think i could sit for 45 minutes until i did and i did it every day for the last week and now i know I can sit for 45 minutes, um, but I, my own mind would have tried to talk me out of it if I hadn't been in the meeting, in the retreat, in the, you know, that proved to me that I can do that. But my mind will try to talk me out of it if I don't, you know, just do it. Vanessa. I don't want to change the topic if this one's not done yet. Is this, do we feel that was, okay. Um, kind of going back to what Jeff was saying, it got, it got me thinking, right? Like, so the impetus for starting this Q&A monthly was when we were having a lot of people in the program, a lot of movement, and there was a lot of rumors and things going on. And so we created kind of a clearinghouse for uh, open communication and within the Sangha. And then, you know, we stopped having so many, I hate to say problems because they weren't really problems. It's just like growth and development, you know, we stopped having, and we kind of stabilized. And so the Q and A went to quarterly so that people had a place where they could come with anything that they needed clarification on or, you know, whatever, just an open forum. And so that's what this Q and A has been. And so maybe the attendance is low because there are no questions that people have because now we've kind of stabilized. And so what do we think about, and you know, maybe turning this into a quarterly instead of calling it a Q&A, kind of making this a jumping off point for a group rep gathering, a group rep and interested others or whatever gathering so that it's not necessarily uh, we're just here asking, I mean, of course, it'll be questions and answers as needed, but also things that we can say, you know, this is where we're at with, um, you know, uh, there's been some interest in H&I, and this is where we're at with it, which is, you know, blah, blah, and just kind of giving uh, little summaries of that. Um, and also, like, uh, we just came out with the Donna QR code that is available now under the meeting resources. And I know Sebastian's gonna send out something, a blurb on that so everybody has access. But instead of it being like a Q&A, more of like an information sharing gathering, like a, a workshop, like a, like a Sangha workshop or whatever we wanna call it before we actually develop this like real structure, it could be shifting. I'm done talking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that I, I like I'm interested in in that in that conversation Jeff did you have a question or comment about that go ahead I love it I um I think that's great I totally get it and um and yeah you know just uh, a, a name change might even kind of change the the uh the, the feeling towards you know wanting to be here rather than feeling obligated to or having having to have a problem to show up um <laughs> Even uh, Noah, you might have, or uh, Vanessa, or you know, people on the board, or, or any of us could have uh, topics to bring up as a as a check in. For example, um, I've been on a tear lately about scripts that are getting you know pretty pretty blurry um, because after three years of using the same script and group group conscience, how do you, how do we want to do uh, introductions? And is it roll call? Is it this? Is it that? There's all, all, lots of other languages have been added our Thursday night group was like ridiculous. It became this long thing. We go, we're like, well, should we try to edit this and that? We go, no, there's a script. It's totally available. We'll scrap everything. We'll go back to the script that's on the website and strictly use that. It's not broken. So I just, it'd be great if all groups chimed in on something like that and are just like that. I, I just, um, maybe being redundant here, but uh, I, I, I love the idea of Vanessa and that, maybe even having a little bit pointed about, hey, let's talk about scripts this week. Let's talk about uh, member problems, uh, whatever. Thanks. Yeah, and also the possibility uh, along those lines of, 
that the group reps are meant to show up to the quarterly meeting and actually report on what's going on in their meetings. How's attendance? How's donations? Are there any issues? A sort of check-in for the group reps at the world level so that, you know, and there's that support that, you know, peer support of the people being of service in, in the meetings, um, rather than it being me kind of trying to put out fires or answer questions, uh, you know, kind of the group reps supporting each other on. Yeah, I like that idea. Sean, go ahead. Hi. Um, like sort of as like a meta comment on this meeting, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a new group rep, like I think three weeks in. And so I've I've found that there isn't all I maybe I'm looking in the wrong places, but I feel like there could be more opportunities for supporting your group reps. It's kind of why I'm here too, just to like hear what other people are talking about, the way they approach and think about these things. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like the idea of framing this as like if you're a group rep, you're like expected to be here or something to that effect that makes it a bit more systematized because it makes it a lot easier to get onboarded. Um Pretty much that was like the only thing I had to say about that. It's like, I, I think that it's really good we're decentralized. Like that's absolutely the right way to compose the system. And then there's, we just need, we just need these synchronization points, kind of like what you said, Noah. And I think that this could be a great place to do that. Yeah, I like that. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll move towards something like that. Vanessa uh, and I, and maybe Jeff, if you've got some ideas, we'll help create something that for, to try to get implement that in in 24 uh and um maybe the conference can be one of the rallying points for that and some you know literature for how how exactly to do that yeah because the the hardest part is going to be yeah anyways okay got it like it, without it descending into chaos because everyone's going to have different things so how do we, anyways, I'll get my brain working along those lines. Thanks. Yeah, we definitely need a structure, a clear structure for it. Yeah. And a facilitator. And I'm happy to facilitate it on some level, but um, yeah. Cool. Laura, go ahead. Uh, what is going on with H and I? Anything? <laughs> no. No. Um, organically happening there's um i don't know a handful of of people of members taking meetings into jails and rehabs and what would be hospitals and institutions h and i um, but there's never been a formal structure created of how to do it it's been organic and it's been a conversation we've been having for 10 years since refcon one you know nine nine years ago uh, it was one of the first conversations of like, how are we going to do H&I and what can we learn from the 12 step approaches and and how do we create that structure and implement it? And um, it's happened in sort of fits and starts and never really been um, solidified. Mm -hmm. Well, I um, <clears throat> I've never had much success with the 12 step program. Um, I did take a look at their H&I uh, literature just to get an idea of how their structure works mm -hmm. um to be honest with you it's immense um it was just too much too much information for me to get through uh i wonder if <clears throat> there's any way that um i could be connected with someone who has succeeded with this um just to get some some pointers from them i'm interested in bringing it into a local rehab facility Okay. You know, what I've been telling people, Laura, is, and you've secretaried a meeting before, um, is if there's a place that, you know, wants you to come in, you just go in and you stick with the script and you, you know, you have the people there, you say, hey, will you read this? And will you read this? And will you lead the meditation tonight? And you just bring a meeting in um, and you have a captive audience and hopefully they're, you know, my own thing is, uh, you know, usually you want people to want to be there rather than being forced by the institution the rehab or whatever to be there it should be voluntary attendance in in my opinion um but you know those who want to come and check it out and then you just run a meeting for them pretty pretty straightforward thanks philip, philip um you, uh, I'll, you, I'll uh, you see that uh in the chat from philip he said he would yeah. talk to you about it 
Yeah, I'll text you, Phil. Thank you. Um, I guess also, Noah, I just wanted to make sure that I don't need any sort of permission or clearance or anything like that. No, you don't. As long as you're not, you know, you can't get paid for it or you can't, you know, it, well, won't, be, it. it won't be it won't be on the schedule because it probably won't be an open meeting to the outside. It's just a, a service opportunity to go in and say, look, I can facilitate this meeting for your inmates <laughs> or your captives. Thanks, Noah. Yeah. Um, and to kind of talk a little bit about H&I and stuff. So and that's like a perfect reason why to have these these meetings, right? Because there'll be like 10 people in here that are doing H&I stuff. And so you guys can all pull your resources. And that's how we become truly peer led. And, you know, I feel like with this organization, World Services works for, you know, the Sangha. Um, so we don't have to give clearance or do anything like as long as people ad adhere by the essential elements and the guiding principles, like you got it. Just go for it. No one needs to say, okay, you're, you're clear. Just do the thing. Just as a follow-up, um, I know that if I want to start a meeting, um, just a general meeting for the public, I have to go through our, our, you know, world services and fill out the form. Would I need to do that for an institution as well? So you actually don't have to go through the whole to be listed on the refuge recovery website and to be considered a refuge recovery meeting, you go through RR, but then Noah, you want to talk about, so anyone can have a, a meeting about being listed, but Noah? I think, I mean, the answer is just no, you don't have to go through that. Thanks. Yeah, and especially someone like you, Laura, who's already gone through that and has already run a meeting, you can just, you know, it's just a service opportunity for you. May I ask another question? Sure, since it's crickets in here. <laughs> um, I have um, a lot of difficulty um, encouraging people to come to the Sunday night meeting that I secretary. I spent a good long while on the phone with Sebastian the other day talking about um, you know, essential elements and, and things like that, because I took over this secretary position in May for someone who had been secretary for two years. Um, and I have not had any success in recruiting anybody to take a service position. Um, so many people talk about how wonderful they think the group is, but nobody really wants to help um any suggestions um you know sebastian of course mentioned you know equanimity <laughs> and um you know i definitely agree with that you know i'm not going to be able to change anybody um but i really i really don't want to give this group up so jeff do you have a perspective on that I'll offer my typical hard-lined uh, abrasive approach. <laughs> Vanessa, I'm going to I'm going to run. I'll be right back. You take over. Oh, you're leaving at this point where Jeff's about to drop a bomb. Sweet. That's why he's leaving. Yeah. He knows me too well. Yeah. yeah. Here's a uh, here's a tactic that has proven successful every time. There's a, a 6-month uh, service uh, commitment. And uh, when the six months is up, there's an election. If you get to uh, a second term, great. At the end of that term, there's an election and you're done. That's it. You step down. And if nobody's there to secretary the meeting, guess what? There's no meeting. Well, yeah. And, and you know what usually happens? Somebody goes, well, if that's the case, I guess I can try it. And you go, thank you very much. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and I will. I'll cross that bridge. You know, if yeah. no one steps up, then then we'll see. Yeah, but, you, got, yeah you know, don't, absolutely don't. right. And I've seen it happen. 
you know, sure. I've seen and it we, we don't want to have an attitude like we're creating some sort of ultimatum. We're just, you know, ad- adhering to our guidelines. Hmm. And then, hmm. of course, equanimity. If the meeting ends, the meeting ends. Maybe somebody else start a new one. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Have you read through the you you read through the guide of how to run a business meeting? Yes, yes, yeah. and I I will continue to do that as uh, Sebastian has recommended every every month. <laughs> yeah. So and um you know the you you can serve as much as you want if there's no one else stepping up to the plate. But Jeff's right, like stepping down usually scares people into stepping up. But um. Your question was also like, how could you encourage people to be of service, right? Was that the question? Yes, yes, that's one of my questions. Um, the the only I and everyone else can chime in with anything that they have to suggest of you know ways to encourage service. But um, the best way that I found to encourage service is just to keep sharing about how it's helped me in my recovery. So yeah, I don't know does Sean has- have an an insight? Yeah, yeah, I'll go really quick, and then I, I know Kat has their hand up as well. Um, so what what Jeff and Vanessa talked about is exactly how I ended up becoming a secretary. Uh, I was going to a Tuesday night meeting, it takes two, and then unfortunately the secretary went AWOL, and it was like, oh shit, like I go to this meeting all the time. Uh, going AWOL is obviously a bit more extreme than like your terms up, and like this is at risk of closure. What I noticed after when we needed to get people or like, you know, just life happens, right? Like this person has a responsibility and they can't um, do it anymore for valid reasons. Uh, I sort of realized that like there was a really strong community that existed in the parking lot. And so the people who would stick around in the parking lot would very much be people I could approach and be like, hey, could you just do this? And like, you know, point blank directly ask them as opposed to like hoping for a volunteer during a business meeting. Um, because if you sort of have that rapport and you're having fun and you're like actually discussing stuff after the meeting, uh, it is more likely to convert into somebody taking a position than not. And you, you, you may be doing that and not finding success. So I apologize if I'm telling you something you tried. Um, I'm more thinking about outside of the dire, like, oh shit, the meeting might go away. There's also kind of like the fun part of the Sangha that can persuade people to take up service positions where like it helps the recovery. And if you actually like the people and you're like getting along, it's an excuse to be around those people. And that can be motivating for a certain kind of person. Can I ask a clarifier, Sean? So mm-hmm. just um, when when you're in the parking lot and you you ask people, you know, can you do the service position? Do you still have it in the business meeting and officially vote them in? Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a great suggestion, Sean. And you know, um, I do have that rapport with a lot of people who stay in the parking lot, and I suppose I just didn't want to put too much pressure on anybody, but. Uh, maybe, maybe that's warranted, you know, um, I know I benefit from a little pressure here and there. So thank yeah, you. No problem. And it's, it's consensual, right? Like we, we trust that they're comfortable saying no, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, we just, yeah, we go with off that. Yeah. The only thing that I w- I'd like to add something real quick, um, Vanessa, which is, and Laura, you and I already talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, during COVID, there was hundreds of meetings started. And, um, you know, there is the question post lockdown, uh, do we need this many meetings? Will can will the will the Sangha support this many meetings? And, you know, if you're in meetings, and this isn't just a Laura, but any of us, if you're in meetings that aren't getting support, like Jeff said in the beginning, maybe it's not uh, a neat necessary there's you know there's another 200 online meetings um and you could just go to a different meeting and take a service commitment at a different meeting that maybe needs support rather than trying to keep every single one alive that's not getting a lot of support that doesn't have a lot of people that want to be of service just migrate it to you know to a different time and sometimes uh, it's my own view and opinion is better to have fewer strong meetings where there's mentors available, where people are being of service, modeling service. Uh, I'd, I'd rather Refuge had fewer, stronger meetings than, you know, this sort of like, well, we need to have thousands of meetings that aren't very strong. I'd, I'd rather have, you know, 100 really strong meetings than 200, you know, not that well supported meetings. So, uh, I you know, 
it could actually even be beneficial to people to shut a meeting down, not just the sort of like threat of shutting it down to make them be of service, but actually to consolidate. And us at World Services, we're never going to go around and tell people to consolidate meetings um, because it's peer-led and you guys get to start and support as many as you can. But I just think it's a better look for our program if our meetings are strong rather than, oh, I went to this meeting and nobody could mentor and nobody would be of service and, you know, refuge is a mess. <laughs> rather than I went to this meeting and there's 50 people there and it was strong and people are mentoring and people are being of service and you know it was uh you know looks like a healthy community rather than it was three people that you know seem to be you know hmm. that's an interesting perspective thank you Noah yeah welcome Kat go ahead Hey, so I um, I was wondering if uh, people who are starting in-person meetings, I had another question, but then this question came up. Um, if people who are starting in-person meetings, how do you promote it besides online, like in your area? Because we live in an area, I was just wondering uh, in general, like do people make flyers like old school way? Um, how do you get people in your area to come to a meeting if there's no like meetings around there? Uh, that's my here first question. have experience with that. Want to speak to to cats? Philip, are you raising your hand for that or something else? Yeah. Yeah. Go um, ahead. So we just started another in-person one in Tulsa, and we're kind of dealing with the same thing. I uh, I went and got about a hundred flyers made up. And we looked up places like yoga centers, uh, places that do mental health services, stuff like that, and going to take some flyers to them and be like, hey, can you put this in your lobby kind of deal? Thank you. Michelle? Yeah, along a similar line of what uh, Philip said, that's what one of our members did. He made a bunch of flyers and took them to treatment centers and IOPs and I hadn't thought about the yoga centers and some of the other places, so that's a good idea too. I I have this kind of throwback attitude about attraction rather than promotion, though, and so I need to reschool myself on that. I think. But Michelle is that's a good that's an interesting thing because I wouldn't think of putting a flyer out as promotion necessarily, like because I'm not being like everyone come come. I'm just like announcing it. Is it really, I mean, I guess it is promotion, but like, how, yeah, interesting. Thank you. Not against our guiding principles to uh, announce or promote meetings. And you can do it also online and there's the kind of free listings in your area of, you know, things to do, uh, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, where can I, where can I list things uh, for local groups? Um, there's probably some websites that apply to your area of like, you know, meetings and groups and activities, and you might be able to list them there too. Oh, I was just kind of clarify. Does that mean like, yes, we can put flyers up or no? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you can. It's not against the, not against any of our guiding principles. We don't have that tradition that says attraction rather than promotion, and we're not anonymous, so we're not trying to hide from public view that we're recovering addicts. And um, you know, it's it's totally okay in refuge to do some promotion. And you know, my sense is along the line with Van with Vanessa's, which is it's. Uh, bringing awareness. It's a public service to say, this is here if you're interested in it. We're not trying to recruit, <laughs> but we are trying to bring awareness to the availability. So I should stop recruiting is what you're saying. <laughs> Sean, go ahead. It's just like a quick another thought that came to my mind when we were talking about like how to reach people. And my mind was go to where the addicts are. Like, like I, I live in Santa Cruz. I actually have a hard time making it to the in-person Santa Cruz meetings, but um, I can think of a few places where 
someone who might be looking or wanting help and not knowing where to look might see a flyer like a bus station or something like that. Um, so depending on your local geography, there may be some obvious spots where you could just put up some flyers and, and get some people in that way. And fortunately or unfortunately, we're all addicts, so we can think like one. Right. Yeah, go go post some uh, meetings down at the Blue Lagoon and the Catalyst and the Poet and the Patriot. Like I'm, I'm dating myself because half of these bars are closed now in Santa Cruz. Uh, you know, you can go to Janice, you can go to, you know, you can go to, uh, you know, yeah, you can, you can post them wherever. Down at the boardwalk, just handing out recovery flyers on the boardwalk. Clock tower. <laughs> Clock tower. <laughs> well, Sean, you're not going to have a far commute to the conference next summer. We're going to be in your neighborhood. Yeah, I already booked my ticket. It's nine minutes away from where I'm sitting. Yeah, yeah. We can, we're going to be right by you in the Redwoods. And you too, Chris B. Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, the we have a senior center that we've got uh, flyers up at. There's the Vets Hall and, um, oh, and some of the Zen centers, if you have those around town. We've, we've got like almost a meet, not just refuge, but we've got like just plain meditation groups now mm -hmm. that just come and do a 45 minute sit together. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, so this question is for the other question about um, H&I. Um, I was wondering, like, so say like you're doing a meeting in a rehab or something, a lot of people, they kind of know what refuge is, but a lot of people where I live anyway have a lot of, uh, in, uh, how do I say this? Um, they have a lot of like AA kind of like pushed down, <laughs> like you got to do AA. You gotta do NA. So I was wondering, like, if there was a way to bring in a rehab, how would you go about helping people learn how to meditate? Because I feel like in my own experience with like, you know, people who haven't really meditated, if I was to bring in it, I'm just like, I'm trying to picture it in my head how it would go. And that's probably not the right approach, but um, cause I think a lot of people without breaking like the essential elements, cause we do have meditations in the meetings, but how would we make it? What I'm trying to say is like, would it be weird to like make the meditation shorter so that people wouldn't have to like, cause so they could like ease into it. I don't know. Would that be weird? I don't know. Um, I think that the this has been discussed before about having like a newcomer meeting format or maybe an H and I meeting format, um, and I might have a I don't know my my perspective might be incorrect, um, and it's based on my own experience when I was brand new and didn't have any experience meditating, and um, you know was given the instructions and just did it and. And I started going to I started going to a meditation in my first meditation group in my first, you know, few months of recovery where they sat for 45 minutes in silence. And it was pretty excruciating, but I did it. And uh, and I saw that I could do it. Um, and I, I'd imagine that most people, you know, Refuge Recovery now has thousands of people that attend regularly. And the vast majority of the people that attend Refuge didn't have much meditation experience before they came here and were guided in our 20-ish minute guided meditations. And they learned how to meditate. And most, most of us uh, in very early recovery, uh, maybe they'd already done their 30-day treatment or not. Um, but I feel like we're at a place 10 years into refuge where it's pretty clear that our format works really well for a lot of people. Uh, including people, you know, and then, you know, I, we we ran 
the treatment center. We ran the detox and treatment center for, you know, for almost four years as refuge recovery treatment. And um, right from the beginning, we're having people meditate. And when they're, you know, those first seven, you know, to 10 days where they were actually in detox, we weren't necessarily, um, you know, doing a lot of meditation, but once they finished detoxing and were transitioning into the, the treatment piece, they were attending meetings and they were, you know, and, and that kind of, I hope, openness that refuge creates to be like, you don't have to necessarily sit still. You don't have to be good at this, but sit, listen, you know, and, you know, soak in what you can. And then over the days and weeks of sitting and listening, you'll start to see that you can follow along a little bit more. And then over the months, you'll start to see like, oh, that's what we're doing here, <laughs> uh, even if it's gradual. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm quite open to having an, uh, an off perspective about this, but I do hold a view that like people can sit for 20 minutes, even when they're brand new. Um, and that I don't think we want to cheat people by saying like, oh, you're you're in treatment. You can only sit for 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever and not let them actually see that with a guided meditation, 20 minutes is OK. I mean, I'm secretarying a meeting right now on Tuesday nights and half of the group is in treatment, you know, and it's the only difference between my Tuesday meeting and an H&I meeting um, is that, you know, Rather than me going and bringing a meeting to the people in treatment, the treatment is bringing the van loads to our meeting. Uh, and it's basically, you know, like half of the group is members with some period of recovery. and But the other half of the group, 20 or 30 people uh, every week are in treatment and they're following along with our 20 minute meditations. So I, I continue to feel like we don't need to change it much. Just bring it in, show them that they can do it. They'll benefit from it. Okay. Thank you so much. And I, I just wanted to say real quick, like, yeah, it, I realized like what my question sounded like after, like, it's probably fine, you know, like they'll probably- It's not you, Kat. This is a, you know, an ongoing, and I think you came in a little bit late and we talked about this a little bit already. This is an ongoing thing um, where people sort of um, don't think that they can meditate, but it's not actually true. People just don't meditate. It's not that they can't, yeah. they just don't do it. Um, Thank you, Noah. Yeah. Jesse, go ahead. Hey, thank you. Uh, yeah, I wanted to jump on this conversation because in um, a couple of my regular meetings that I go to, um, I mean, it has been a particular member has been questioning that, how long we, about doing the 20 minute meditation and um, Sangha was guiding her to come to you and talk to you. And I was wondering if you'd ever consider doing a talk about that. So when that happens, we can guide them to the Dharma talk where it just gives a little more information on why you think a 20 minute meditation is okay for the newcomer and that you believe in that that's going to help them um because it, i think last week i don't know maybe it was that ring of fire thing that was going on but it there were some people well one person was very vocal about it and then that kind of got other new people talking about it too is that something you might consider doing a talk on at some point quite know how I would do a talk on it other than what I just said <laughs> um but I could try um I'm being, I guess and being new right being yeah. new to it all I suppose I think that part of what has happened um is that there's a new sort of trend of trauma-informed mindfulness and there's, you know, some people, uh, you know, kind of waving the flag, meditation's not safe. Uh, it's not okay to sit with your difficult, you know, feelings and, and you know, you'll be triggered and, and all of that. And I, uh, I think there's probably some truth to that. But uh, my perspective, and I think, I think the Buddhist perspective is that actually sitting with the um, feelings and the unpleasantness and even being triggered is healing and it's exposure therapy and it's it's actually what's going to get us to heal our trauma uh, and not avoiding it by only kind of 
sitting for two minutes and and um, saying like, oh, I, I, I don't have the capacity to be uncomfortable. Um, actually, learning to be uncomfortable is such a key part of our recovery. Um, and I, I don't know, I see I see Buddhist meditation as as a trauma resolution process. The more that we do the loving kindness, the more that we do the forgiveness, the more that we bring mindfulness to the sensations and the feeling tones, it is actually what will help us resolve our trauma and, you know, rewire our nervous system and our minds. Um, and it's not going to happen without training our minds. And, you know, in 20 minutes does seem like a kind of a pretty brief period of being willing to be in it. And even if there is some after effects of like, oh, yeah, now I'm a little, you know, I'm a little off after the meditation. I know in my first years of practice when I was, you know, I was probably, uh, you know, what they would say, kind of re-traumatizing myself when I was trying to do the forgiveness or I was trying to do the compassion. And it was making me um, kind of uh, stirred up more rather than, you know, it wasn't settling me. It was kind of bringing all the the shit up. And I, I can remember often walking away from meditation, feeling a little disoriented. But it was that disorientation that eventually, I believe, led to feeling settled and, and some healing and some, you know, really uncovering the compassion and the wisdom that's underneath those wounds uh, and learning to meet it in a wise way. So I think, you know, I, I feel pretty confident in our method. And um, I feel somewhat skeptical of some of the um, folks who are trying to talk people out of meditating or, or saying, you know, that it's sort of dangerous or, you know, you don't want to be too uncomfortable where and I think that Buddhism is quite the opposite approach is that your path to freedom is through discomfort <laughs> and through difficulty. Um, uh, and that we don't want to just avoid that. We want to face it. So I guess that would be my talk. And yeah, maybe I'll do a first Thursday uh, and try to, Try to say some of these things on, on in a more of a Dharma talk way on a first Thursday. Great, thank you. Yeah, Vanessa, and then tomorrow. Um, so just real quick, because we're talking about this twenty minutes, um, twenty minute time here. Uh, so just to go through this, this is the essential elements, and so number three is selected meditations from Refuge Recovery book or website only. Meditations are. To, to be led by volunteer, rotating volunteers each week. And then when we look at the script, which is just suggested, um, so this is all that it says under here. And so the reason why it's bold is because it is an essential element. So all it says is I've asked blah, 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 meditation. So where is this 20 minutes coming from? Because I do know it to be like, I in my script, it's a, you know, script that I've seen is 20 minutes, but um, is that like a formal thing? Well, the scripts were all um, meant to be about 20 minutes with the two minute pause here and the three minute pause there. Um, as it turns out, some of them are like 14 minutes and some of them are 22 minutes, uh, depending. And it also depends a lot on how fast the leader reads and whether they really adhere to the you know two minute silence periods or not. Uh, and some of them are quite quick and like the. Um, the ones that I didn't create scripts for, but scripts were created later, like the uh, corpse or you know some of the the four elements. They're like ten minute meditations. They're not a full twenty minute script. Um, but the idea was that all the scripts would be about twenty minutes. But it's hard to time them because different people lead at different paces. I was sort of guessing when I wrote the scripts of whether or not they'd be quite 20 minutes <laughs> or not. So, so to clarify, it's encouraged that they're 20 minutes or longer, but it's not a requirement. No, I mean, like you were, like you just pointed out, it's just, you know, it's from the book, but the, they're supposed to be, those are meant to be about 20 minutes, but some are longer, some are shorter. Stated in the book, 20 minutes. Yeah. But there's, but it's not a science, you know, it's not, not totally, not all of them ended up being 20 minutes, but around 20 minutes. 
Tamar, go ahead. Um, I had a question on a different topic. I don't know if people were done talking about the Let's shift. 20 minute thing. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a new group rep. Um, I um, have been secretarying uh, for, oh, hang on. <laughs> Zoom's telling me to lower my hand. Um, I've been secretarying for the food for thought meeting on Sundays. Um, and something that's come up with our the members of our Sangha is um, people sometimes raising concerns. This kind of relates to something that Noah was saying earlier. Um, people raising concerns about getting triggered during sharing. And it's a particular concern in our group, but I can imagine it being a concern in others. It's particularly in ours because when it's food focused, you have people with various different um, eating disorders or um, dysfunctional relationships with food. Sometimes something that one person is trying to do that they see as healthy for another person, that same behavior would be unhealthy and they can find it triggering. So, um, you know, but I imagine that, that other groups might have similar kind of questions. Um, so I guess my question is like, basically the way we've tried or we're, the way we're trying to handle it is, um, we've asked people for feedback to, uh, a survey we've put we're putting together some language that we think might be useful to put into the script uh and we're going to discuss at a future business meeting whether people like the language do they want to revise it but i was just curious like whether other people have had issues with this um and how they approach it because i mean basically i think our bottom line is that like it's a sensitive thing where you have to play the balancing act like maybe there's something you can say to avoid people saying like going into certain really triggering areas but at the same time of course i want to ensure you know the people's freedom to share their experience so just curious for any feedback that people have about that uh so um specifically about creating a script that asks people to um be sensitive around certain kind of expression or talking about their recovery in certain types of way yeah has anyone uh created a script or or otherwise tried to introduce that kind of those kind of uh guidelines into the sharing portion of the meeting laura is that what you're raising your hand to address yeah um <clears throat> i actually have been down this road like several times um trying to appease every individual member of the sangha and it it's sebastian who always brings me back to the um equanimity meditation you know uh it's uh it's a very slippery slope when you start to put restrictions on what people can share i think um and it starts to make it kind of feel like an unsafe space for the group conscious you know like as a group um so that's my input thanks laura thank you yeah i mean um being triggered is a important and you know interesting experience because we live as addicts in a world where we're gonna you know see the behaviors the um, we're gonna see the substances we're gonna see the uh, we're gonna be triggered and uh, i think there can be some idea of like well i want my recovery meetings to be a place where i don't have to deal with any of that um but i do think that there's some argument to be made for like what a great place to actually deal with the things that i'm often getting triggered by in my life here in a room where i'm practicing mindfulness and i'm practicing increasing my tolerance for discomfort increasing compassion um and eventually and this is hard in the beginning it's a little bit comes back to the previous discussion around meditation and um you know it, it, there is something to gentleness and to creating a, a somewhat safe you know kind of container for the conversation 
um and you don't want we don't want to push ourselves too fast too far and um but but eventually actually those triggers are opportunities of like oh let me see how i'm relating to this type of share now in the beginning it was ugh, and now i'm kind of like oh I'm more relaxed around it um and of course refuge recovery sanghas is just a, a microcosm of the macro world that we live in and um you know, we're going to offend each other and we're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to have conflict and we're going to be totally imperfect with each other because we're a bunch of recovering people who aren't perfect and aren't always skillful and aren't always kind and aren't always um, careful. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with a script that says, hey, you know, let's remind each other that like, we're trying to be kind and careful and skillful and all of that, but also let's make lots of room for the new person that doesn't know how to do that yet. And let's not alienate the new person who's like, you know, feeling shamed because they talked about something they weren't uh, supposed to talk about, you know, um, you know, uh, so it is really tricky and, 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 um, and it's part of the, I think reason why Sangha can be so healing is because I don't know if you've ever heard this one tomorrow. I don't think I put it in the book. Did I put rock tumbler in the book anywhere, Jeff, Vanessa? I don't think I did. It's more of a teaching story that I, um, I, I joined this Buddhist community and I was going, I'd been practicing there for a long time. And then one of my, um, uh, they had asked me to come work there and work with the teens and the kids and run this sort of meditation program for young adults. And and when I was taking the job, the executive director said to me, you know, I, I can see, you know, the sort of delusion in your eyes <laughs> that you think Buddhist communities are like really, and it's like, this is going to be like a really safe, ideal you know, place of like wisdom and, you know, everybody's going to, he's like, and I just want to warn you, you're going to be really disappointed when the curtain gets pulled back on how these teachers actually behave. And how, and uh, you know, he said, rather than thinking, you know, because it's so easy to come into things thinking like, oh, everybody's going to be cool. Like we're Buddhists. We're going to be so kind and compassionate and skillful. He said, I encourage you to think about the Sangha. And I, I think that maybe in the new edition, this would be a good analogy for refuge recovery meetings uh, to think about the Sangha as a rock tumbler. And in the rock tumbler, we all come in with our jagged edges, all of us. And, you know, and, and jagged edged, you know, and, and tumbling around in the Sangha by showing up to the meetings and being of service and becoming friends and, you know, having mentors and breaking up with mentors and having relationships and having conflict and you know, all of that stuff that really happens when you're really part of a community. He said, it, it's that rubbing up against each other and offending each other that actually smooths out the edges that is the rock tumbler of our community. And it, and it happens by, um, you know, all of the difficult conversations that we have to have and the ways that we have to meet each other with tolerance and patience and compassion and forgiveness and let go of our projections and our ideas of, uh, you know, some of our ideas of safety and safe spaces and, and kind of waking up to like, ooh, even the Sangha, not a safe space, <laughs> you know, like uh, more human beings, <laughs> not safe around, you know, like still offended, like, um, so I really like, you know, kind of, so there, there's that side of, of it too, with the script of like, yeah, hey, we're trying to do this thing, but also we're going to get triggered here. And it's an opportunity to heal rather than trying too hard to say like uh we're going to try to get rid of all of the difficulties and make this a place where there is no conflict or unskillful behavior all of that having been said totally fine of course to create you know based on group conscience whatever language feels helpful in that context to that meeting but I don't know. Have you looked at the, the the safety statement that we put out? I just I just saw that. It's the first time I've seen it. So thank you. I'm gonna have a look at that and see 
yeah, some you know some of this perspective of like um, everyone's welcome, including the people that don't know how to be safe yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Welcome. Cat, maybe last one. Um, I was just gonna <clears throat> comment on the topic of being tri triggered and um, sharing and stuff in meetings and like um, that sometimes uh, like everyone sees things through a different perspective and like everyone's where they are and uh, sometimes people say things just because they're you know suffering or whatever but I also been <clears throat> reflecting on like when this was brought up like what the difference is between being offended and um triggered is because <clears throat> i guess i guess they're really closely related um <clears throat> but i think also like you were saying about the like fad or whatever about some other subject we were talking about how it's like being triggered you know uh, what does that actually mean like what are people saying they are triggered about you know like what are the what is their definition of of triggered and are they just offended too so I just wanted to point that out because I I've had trouble with that like even now I'm like okay was I actually offended or was I triggered and so I just wanted to point that out. I I have to do a lot of reflecting on that too as well so I just want to say that thanks Kat Jeff you can have the last word if you want yeah and sorry if, if you've already you know made this clear if I, or if you have I'll, I'll highlight it but there's rare but um there are some cases where you know people do act completely inappropriately um it's you know i think the online formats a little we're a little more susceptible to it and in an in-person group doesn't happen as often but it has you know at, at in san francisco you know we've had asked people to step out of the meeting for a while and cool off or whatever um and online i mean pretty recently we had an individual who was irate uh, i'm not gonna you know look into why but um, you know, in the during the business meeting in the parking lot, and you know, she became very uh, offensive and told the rep to go fuck himself, and we dumped her out of the meeting. We, we you got a dump button there, and there's maybe time to to think about it. But you know, if we're not saying we all, you know, maybe I'm saying the secretary sometimes has a role to to police meetings and and to, and to make that decision. Tamar, um, am I saying your name right? Tamar? Yes, that's right. How's the attendance at the at the food meeting? Um, well, I, I thought it was pretty good, and then I heard how big they can actually be. So <laughs> uh, but we normally have between like eight and fifteen. That's great. That's great. Um, cool. I was just curious. You know, I feel like our, probably the process addiction, addressing the process addiction in the specific affinity groups is uh, not as one of our weaker spots in refuge recovery, but I I feel so committed to and happy that it's happening. And, um, you know, it's fairly common for those that come in with substance abuses to then transfer to food-based addiction processes. And, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I know there's been some controversy in that meeting in the the sub the process addiction people who are like wait we're not alcoholics how come we can't drink and and be of service i know that's an issue for for some people but um i'm happy i'm, I'm that it's happening and i hope that there's more refuge available for process addiction specific uh folks um you know and i i, I it sounds like you were talking more around language and um you know but I've heard somebody was telling me recently that some groups are saying like we don't want any smoking on camera on zoom meetings no smoking no eating of any kind no even drinking water people might get triggered by you drinking water because it looks like vodka or something like that and you know every group gets to um make their own group conscience you know um but you know as my personal opinion is like let's not take this too far <laughs> Let's, let's not let's not tell people they can't drink water but you know if you're going to tell people they can't drink water okay um i guess you could just take turn your camera off and drink your water and turn your camera back on i don't know 
Anyways, I hope that this was somewhat useful. Good to see everybody. It sounds like um, there's some energy towards shifting it. Um, it would, uh, next year, I think we'll probably do one in January, maybe February. We'll get one scheduled in the new year. And, um, you know, Vanessa and Jeff and, and some of us will try to organize this to be a little bit more like group reps and, and a bit business and the more I can step out of the kind of I'm going to answer the questions, I'm happy to step out of that and just to help facilitate um, the conversation. So um, we'll see where we go with it next year, but it sounds like we're shifting in that direction. And um, good to see everybody. Thanks for being here. If there's any merit created by our discussion, may it be shared. With all beings everywhere, may each one of us heal and recover and together create a positive change on this planet. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.